We today begin a very delicate but very important series about a topic that the Bible has a lot to say about, the world attacks us relentlessly on, people are falling every week to this issue. Just in the last two weeks, we've seen what's gone on with Governor Como, and then the reports of the secret sins of Ravi Zacharias have absolutely had me in incredible shock. I just still have a hard time even wrapping my mind around it. Topic is sex. In the three weeks that we're going to tackle this, I'm going to answer a lot of questions. Who created sex? What's the purpose of sex? Why is it such a powerful area? How do we glorify God in this area? What about same-sex attraction? What about those who are single? How important is it in the marriage relationship? How can this help us in the sanctification process? What if I have sinned or been sinned against? And a lot of other questions, and I welcome you to email me other questions throughout the week. My email is at the bottom of the sermon notes. But today I encourage you not to try to get every point on your notes. Just listen and, and write down only what you feel the Holy Spirit kind of says to you personally. I'll be happy to email you the entire message if you feel like you've got to get every point. But I encourage you today not to try to write down every point because we're going to cover a lot of ground. First of all, why this series? Well, God's Word has a lot to say about it. Praise God, He, he doesn't leave us in the dark. Amen? He, we love His Word here at Living Hope, and we want to base everything on His Word. He gives us truth because He wants us to walk in truth and freedom and joy. And beloved, we need God's perspective on this important topic because we're, we're going to certainly hear the world's perspective relentlessly. And the Bible says in Romans 12, we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I just want to say this also, the younger you get God's perspective on this, the better. I love seeing children in the audience. I'm going to be sensitive in what I say. I'm not going to say anything that that, that I think you would feel like is inappropriate for young uh, ears in the audience. They're probably hearing it everywhere else. Why not hear it from God's Word the right way? Amen? Number two, temptations abound in this area. I mean, you don't even have to go anywhere now to be bombarded by temptations just because of what is on our phones and our computers. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man and woman, and with the temptation, God will, will provide a way of escape. In Hebrews 4, it says that Jesus was tempted in all areas as we are, yet without sin. So if we have Jesus in our life, then we can resist temptation. Number three, there is great potential for good and harm. I, I liken this topic to music. Music has great potential for good, but great potential for harm. It was created by God for worship. But when you put music to ungodly lyrics and other things that incite the flesh, it can do great damage. The same with this topic. Philip Yancey said, you are much like God when having holy sex. We'll define what that is in a minute. So when something is in the context for which it was created by God, it is incredibly beautiful. It is sacred. It is holy. It is incredibly good. But you remove it from the context for which God created it, and it can do great harm. It's like fire. 
Fire on the stove cooking food. Fire in the fireplace keeping the house warm is good. You remove it from the context for which it was created. It will then burn down the house and burn down the entire neighborhood. This is why 1 Peter 2 and 11 says, Abstain from the passions of the flesh. And look at this. Which wage war against your soul? Now, sin is sin, but I believe sexual sin has greater consequences. It wages war against your soul. It's not just a body thing. Look at these diagrams. We are spirit, soul, and body. When you sexually sin, you give room to Satan and demons to establish strongholds or soul ties. Look at the next one. Demonic spirits can never enter your spirit if you're born again, but they can certainly affect your body and even your soul, especially when you sin in this category. I believe the three sins that most open the door to Satan are unforgiveness, the abuse of drugs and alcohol, and sexual sin. Those are three that I have seen over and over create strongholds in people's lives. So who created sex? God. Therefore, it is not dirty when done the way God ordained it to be. In the one man, one woman marital relationship. Parents, it's so important when you talk to your children about this area to not just focus on the prohibitions, but share with them the divine purpose of this. And that when done in the way God intended, it is beautiful, it is sacred, it is holy. God does not make mistakes. In Genesis 1, it says God created man in His image, male and female. And He said, be fruitful and multiply. And God saw everything that He made and it was very good. Prior to this aspect of creation, He just said it was good. But on the sixth day, man and woman and procreation, He said it's very good. Psalm 139, it says that God created us in our mother's womb. Every aspect of our bodies were created by God, even our sex organs. He did not make a mistake. So what is holy sex? What is sacred, godly sex? That's what we're after today, right? Since it's created by God, it's therefore holy and good and sacred when done as He wants it then what is it? Here's my definition. I didn't borrow this from anybody. This is original. The mutually satisfying union between one man and one woman in the marriage relationship that is physical, emotional, and spiritual. It's not just a physical thing. It's more than just intercourse. It's the coming together of two people in a most intimate way. The word intimacy could be defined as into me see. It's being vulnerable. It's giving and receiving and connecting in a most intimate manner. It's also holy because the word holy literally means to set apart for a divine purpose. That word was used in the Old Testament of objects in the temple. It was a holy vessel if it was used for worship. And so it's something that is set aside for a divine purpose. The same word for no in Genesis 4.1 is used for sex. Because the word yada, know, means to know in more than just a physical manner. In Genesis 2.25, it says, The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. 
And in Hebrews 13, 4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Anything outside of this is unholy. Outside of this definition. Dishonoring to God and brings great pain, hardship, spiritual blockage, and opens the door to the enemy. This would include, in other words, anything outside of God's boundaries would include such things as premarital sex, adultery, pornography, lusting in thoughts towards someone who's not your spouse, homosexual sex, friendship with benefits. All of that is sin and brings great harm. The fact that adultery is one of only two biblical allowances for divorce shows how serious God takes this. The word fornication or sexual immorality, which includes any sex outside of a one-man, one-woman marital relationship, is used 39 times in the New Testament. Now, let me say this, and it's very important. Temptation is not sin. We're all tempted. Jesus was tempted, yet resisted, and we too can in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the temptation to lust is not sin. Lusting is. The temptation to commit adultery is not sin, but lusting after that person or actually committing adultery is sin. Same-sex attraction is a temptation and not sin unless acted on any more than a heterosexual being attracted towards someone of the opposite gender who is not their spouse is not sin, but lusting after or actually having physical contact with such a person is sin. Do you understand the difference? So why restrictions? Why limitations? Is God some killjoy? Does he not want us to have pleasure? Not at all. For joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And God is a God of joy. And in Psalm 16, 11, it says that in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The reason there's restrictions is because God loves us and wants to provide for and protect us. See, marriage is so sacred to him that he wants it to only be in that context. It's like a chainsaw. <laughs> a chainsaw is a powerful tool, but in the wrong hands it can bring great destruction. The chainsaw, I was going to have one up here and start it up, but I thought it might be a little extreme on the prop end. So we'll just let you imagine that I'm starting up a chainsaw, and it's to cut down trees and cut down big limbs, and it is powerful. You would never give that chainsaw to a six-year-old. Then there would be blood all over the place. There are limitations because of how powerful and useful it is. Speed limits are to protect us and provide a safe journey for us. You get outside of that speed limit, then there is often damage and accident. So what is the purpose of sex? There's four purposes. I'll begin with the letter P. First of all, procreation. Genesis 1, again, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Procreation because God loves children and he loves families. God told Adam and Eve to have children. And to have children, you have to have sex. How amazing in the plan of God that it would be this way to procreate. And for the sake of the children, God wants a 
child to be born into a one-man, one-woman marital family relationship. Again, if we take it out of the context for which it was created, it leads to all kinds of problems for us and for the children brought into this world without the one-man, one-woman marital umbrella over them. Number two, permanence. Because God wants the marriage relationship to be close. You see, in the marriage, it's, it, it is for closeness and bonding and to keep the couple exclusively tight with one another. Two becoming one literally in the Hebrew means to stick like glue. The act of sex helps create that bonding. In Genesis 2.25, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. What God wants is for couples to have no shame in their marriage. No shame because they're secure in Christ and loved by each other. And the act of sex is that vulnerable and unconditional acceptance of one another. It's created to be this beautiful expression of love and acceptance and includes the emotional and the spiritual, not just the physical. It's one of the few things that a couple shares only with one another. That exclusivity of it in marriage is meant to be a bonding thing. Just like sharing intimate feelings and thoughts with one another, things that you share with no one else, that creates a bond between the two of you. And also, what it does in terms of brain chemistry, now I'll share more next week on this, but Rich Saplita has put together a wonderful article on this. But there's many studies that reveal that what happens in the brain and the emotions of a person with someone they have sex with, they feel almost a supernatural connection with that person. And that's why when you remove it from the context of marriage, it then creates a premature or ungodly bond with that person, what many people call a soul tie, which again, in sin, can, be, can have demonic elements that need to be resisted, need to be renounced before you truly get set free. Beloved, one of the purposes of this series is we want to see people set free. So many people are bound in sin and bound in, uh, in, in things regarding this, even sexual addictions and, and, uh, and, and shame and guilt from their past. You can be set free. Jesus comes to set the captives free. There is no sin. There are no demons that he can't get rid of in our lives. Third purpose is pleasure. Because God is a joyful God. Now, this next verse that I'm going to read to you, I, I almost was not going to put it on the screen. But I said, why would I not? This is just as much in God's word and just as much anointed and inspired by the Holy Spirit as John 3.16. So here it is. I didn't write this. God did. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. The Song of Solomon is a book about pleasureful, holy sex. So God is pro-pleasure in the right context. Women, you have one, an organ in your body that only has one purpose, pleasure. Number four, protection. Because God doesn't want things to hinder your holiness. To help protect the marital union. The best defense against temptation and sin is a good offense. A healthy and regular sex life within marriage with your spouse. That's why 1 Corinthians 7 says, Do not deprive one another except by mutual consent 
for the purpose of prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Listen, married couples, if you're not keeping an active and healthy sex life in your marriage, you're putting each other in a dangerous and vulnerable place. Your spouse is more vulnerable to temptation and sin if he or she is not connecting regularly with you. Now look at that phrase in 1 Corinthians 7, lest Satan tempt you. Now again, that doesn't eliminate temptation altogether, but it sure makes it easier to say no to temptation when the fires of sexual passion are burning bright in the home. Now I understand there's all kinds of issues here that complicate matters. I'm 60, so I get this. Hormones, seasons in our lives, inequality and desire, physical complications, emotional issues, issues after having a baby or after having surgery or ED or depression. And that's where getting good counseling can be really helpful in a marriage. And don't be embarrassed to do that. You want a car to go 300, 400,000 miles, and I want my marriage to go 300, 400, 500,000 miles, doesn't it mean you take it to a good mechanic occasionally? <laughs> I mean, that's just smart taking care of your vehicle. It's going gonna, it's gonna to need transmission, new transmission fluid. And it's going to need, I won't go any further. It, would, it probably wouldn't be appropriate. But couples, here's the deal. Be committed to working on this area. Just like you do in other areas of your marriage. Communication, finances, maybe being on the same page in parenting, your goals. You're at new seasons in life. You have challenges in physically and emotionally. But be committed to working on this area. So sex is for procreation, permanence, pleasure, and protection. Now, why is sex such a powerful thing? I've been really thinking a lot about this. I have for years. To some, it can feel all-consuming, like the books, The Sexual Man, or Every Man's Battle, or Every Woman's Battle. I mean, there's tons of books out there because this is such a powerful thing. Why is that? And I'd love your feedback on this uh, by email. If you think of other things, really encourage you to listen closely to this. Number one, it's so prevalent in our world. And so it, it tends to, our world tends to be the poker in the coals that keeps arousing this. And unfortunately, we live in a sex-saturated world. Everywhere you turn, every song, every movie, even advertising seems to be so much about this. People's clothing is, is not taken near as seriously. It's like the standards now are just so loose. And so literally everywhere, it's, it's presented to us. It's not the godly view. Number two, we have a strong need for connection. We're made for relationship with God and others. We're made to need love and to give love. And this need is only truly met by God. So we must be rightly connected to Him before we'll ever be able to be rightly connected with others. But because we don't love the Lord with all our heart, we look for people to give us what only God can. There's a book entitled Surfing for God. You know what it's about? Porn. What a great title. Because those who look at porn are actually surfing for God. Because underneath that sin is a longing for connection, a longing for intimacy, a longing for love, a longing for vulnerability, to be loved and accepted and affirmed for who we are. 
G.K. Chesterton said, everyone knocking on the door of a brothel is actually looking for God. But listen to this carefully. The act of sex gives one the impression that you are loved and accepted and cherished and wanted just for who you are. Because you're completely unclothed and you're connecting with another in what you think is a most intimate way, but it actually may not be unless it meets our former definition of holy sex. Mutually satisfying connection within the marriage that's physical, emotional, and spiritual. Larry Crabb said that he just went to be with the Lord in the last two weeks. I was very grieved by that. I went to a week-long counseling teaching, sat under him with 15 others for a week, and he's been one of my favorite authors. He said, sin is trying to get a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. Isn't that good? So listen, women long for love and security and thus think that sex means he thinks I'm desirable. Men long for love and significance and think that sex will validate their manhood. And so the world, the flesh, and the enemy use all of this to get us to try to get a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. In John 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he confronts her that she's been married five times and is with a man she's not married to. See, she was trying to get her need for love and security and significance met for men. And Jesus was saying, your, your relationships have failed because I am only the one who can provide for you living water. Only I can meet your needs at the deepest level. And first we must be properly connected to God. And only then are we ready to be properly connected to another. Singles, listen to me. You are not ready to be married until you're getting your deepest needs met from Jesus. And, you're, and that person is not ready to marry you until they are getting their deepest needs met from Jesus. Because if that's not happening, each will try to get their deepest needs met from the other and they cannot do it even if they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They weren't intended to do it. Number three, we falsely tie this area with our identity. Now let me explain this carefully. We falsely tie it to our identity. Another reason this issue is so powerful and such a struggle for many is because we are fed the lie that this is the core of our identity. The ads you hear for ED. Do you feel like you're not the man you used to be? Improve your performance in the bedroom. As if this defines your masculinity. No, it doesn't. And if you aren't in a relationship, then you must be deficient in some way. So our world tends to present it. You cannot be happy or whole until you're married. Or we define ourselves based on our sexuality. I'm gay. I'm straight. I'm trans. You see how the world connects this falsely with our identity? None of this is true. Your true identity comes from God and who you are in Christ. Sex is not your identity. You don't need this to be whole. We'll get into this in the weeks ahead, but single people, you are whole in Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You don't need to be married or to be complete or have sex to be complete. Jesus was single and died a virgin. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, it's better to be single in terms of being more freed up to serve the kingdom. But if you get married, you're not sinning either. So he's saying both are great if they're under the lordship of Jesus. So don't make the mistake of allowing your sexuality to be that which defines you. 
And remaining pure in this area, whether married or single, is a wonderful area of sanctification. And that is what we will focus on in the weeks ahead as well. This forces us, or should, to be dependent on God at levels we never have been. Number four, this area is very complex. Again, because it's more than just physical and the brain chemistry issues and all of that, it involves body, soul, and spirit makes this just very complex, which points to the fact of how crucial it is that we get God's perspective. Because if we don't understand it fully from God's perspective, we're going to get all whacked out on this. Number five, violations are extremely costly. I do want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Violations of God's order for this are extremely costly. It could actually cost you eternal life. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 reading out of the ESV, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Serious business. Notice how many of those sins are in the sexual category. And such were, past tense, some of you. Here's the good news. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Go down to verse 18. Flee. It's the only sin that it says flee from. The word literally means run as if your life depended on it. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. This is why I believe sexual sin is in a different category. Sin is sin. It's all an offense to God. It separates from God. Sexual sin is a higher level of transgression against God because of what we're about to see in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And all of these reasons is why, number six, Satan is relentless in his attack in this area. As we said earlier, because it's created by God and has such a powerful potential for good, it only makes sense that Satan would attack us like crazy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But resist him, standing firm in the faith. He is on the prowl to get us to fall into this, his plan for this area. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. My wife has a great quote. Listen closely. Satan does everything he can to get you to have sex when you're not married, and then to not have sex once you are married. You get that? Before you're married, he, he does everything he can to get you to have sex outside of marriage, premarital sex. Once you're married, he attacks you to keep you from having sex within marriage. Final question today, what if I have sinned or been sinned against? Oh, beloved, there's good news. 
There's such good news today because there's forgiveness and healing in Jesus' name. The gospel of Jesus is good news for it provides forgiveness to those who have sinned. Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it shall find mercy. And 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He not only removes the guilt, but he cleanses us. He makes us righteous and whole. If you're single and you've had sex, you confess that to God, you break the soul tie, you receive God's grace and mercy in His sight, you're a virgin again. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He comes to set the captives free. He comes to heal. He comes to restore. He comes to restore our souls. Now there will be consequences. There will be scars from sin that may never go away, but God can heal you so much and restore you so well that you can actually be a person who helps others get healing. One of the beautiful things about what God is doing here at Living Hope is I can tell you we have tremendous resources here to help you get free and stay free. Prayer ministry, surgical prayer, counseling, connect groups, celebrate recovery. We've seen so many people set free. If you come to me and you've said, I've been the victim of sexual abuse at a horrendous level, I can refer you to at least three people in this church who have been through that and have seen God heal them. And they're able now to help others get the same freedom that they've experienced. Well, let's take just a few questions. Uh, we only have maybe about five minutes for this. but And I do welcome you um, emailing me questions throughout the weeks because we're going to spend three weeks on this. And my email is at the bottom of the, the sermon notes. If you're watching online, it's davidholt08 at gmail.com. I really want to make sure that we touch on things that are important to you and feel free to, to ask any question you want. And we also have in this church a woman who does counseling in this area and her expertise is in sexual wholeness. And so we've just got some amazing resources. We want to be a healing center for hurting people. We don't want anybody to feel like they would share anything with us that would make us in any way look down or different upon them. Uh, we realize that we all fall short. We all struggle in this area. Uh, but we want to be pursuing God and pursuing His Word and pursuing holiness for His glory. And so I can assure you, whatever you share, whatever you struggle with, we love you, we accept you, we will not condemn you no matter what it is. We want to see you properly connecting with your Creator God. So raise your hand or text a question in. Take maybe just a few. I may say we're going to hold that for next week or the third week because I know it's going to be coming up. Is there one over here? Right there. Somebody can take the mic. Shannon, do you have the mic? Who's got the mic over here? We need two mics. Um, yeah, just go ahead and stand. Yep. There seems to be, um, when you're on different pages, yep. 
and it's, it would seem to me like it would be right to respect the other one um, when they don't want to, but when you're needing that connection, yeah. um, what do you do when you're on these different That's a great spectrums? question, and I can tell you that is so common. It is so common that you have one spouse maybe with a much stronger desire than the other, and that's why my definition of holy sex is so important, mutually fulfilling. Never should a spouse take advantage of their spouse, demand it. Never should they do anything of that sort. This is where conversation, and it's so hard to talk about. It's, the, it's so hard for people to talk about this, but they have to. If they're going to have a healthy marriage, they've got to talk about it, try to understand it from each other's perspective. Um, there does need to be give and take. There does need to be sacrifice. I mean, we're told to sacrifice for the other. And, um, but never take advantage of, never abuse, never demand. It has to be mutual. And uh, again, this is where if you can't come to some agreement together, then, you know, go see somebody. And I can help you find that, that person to see and talk it through. One thing that I know has helped a lot of couples especially when there's seasons maybe uh, where that, that uh, the hormonal issues, especially where there's a, a, they're just not on the same desire level, is to go to a schedule. I know that sounds real weird. It may sound, you know, not real romantic, but, but I have seen this really help couples where they, they have a schedule that they agree upon, you know, these days of the week. So the one that doesn't have as strong of a desire, maybe due to just being so tired or something physical, they can know that's the day and I'll prepare myself and I'll do things, maybe take a nap or to be more ready. And then the, the other one knows that they can look forward to that day because on the off days they know there's something coming, you know, on the day that they agreed on. Um, so I have seen that be very practically helpful for a lot of couples, especially after uh, having a newborn baby or the wife's breastfeeding and, and, and she doesn't see her body anymore as a sex object as much as just to feed the baby. And so that's a whole issue in her mind. But there's a lot of emotional issues, there's hormonal issues, you hit menopause, you hit all that, or you got the ED issue on the male side. And so all of that can make this complex and difficult, but you've got to work at it. And you've got to come to a mutual agreement. But the schedule is a very practical thing that some people should consider. And you thought this could never be talked about in church, didn't you? <laughs> yes. How do you bring God into the bedroom? Prayer. First of all, walking with God individually, each person walking with the Lord, but um, praying together. Couples that pray together stay together. And couples that pray together, it binds the enemy. And um, reading scripture together. I mean, if, if, if all this is true that I've shared today, and it is, that God created and it's a good thing and what holy sex is, then it, it's wonderful to invite him into that. Just like we would invite him into a conversation about something else in our marriage. Or just like we're wrestling with a rebellious child and we're talking as a couple on that. We need to bring God into that too, right? Well, what's the best way? Prayer. <laughs> God, just guide our discussion now. God, guide our conversation that we would hear your voice through each other. We know the right thing to do with this child that we're about to pull our hair out on. In the same way, God, would you just come and, and with your presence into this time of intimacy now? One more. These are great questions. You got one over here. Okay. 
I was just going to I was just going to say in 50 years of walking with Christ I've never heard anybody address this from the pulpit and it's so terribly needed especially today. Thank you. Well, I told somebody yesterday, I don't like preaching on this. <laughs> I'm doing it in obedience to God because I believe we need to talk about it. And but I'm ready to get to another book of the Bible. So I can't wait to get to 1 Peter. But we're going to do this. <laughs> we're going to do this. <laughs> but it's not easy. <laughs> so, but thank you for that affirmation. Yes. From a man who allowed himself to get caught up in a porn addiction and a man who works with a lot of men in the process, uh, define the difference between temptation and sin. Okay, yeah. So temptation is the normal attraction one has toward something they're attracted to. Okay, temptation to have something materially that maybe God doesn't want them to have. Temptation to, um, you know, see, so seeing, for a heterosexual, see, seeing a beautiful woman and, and being attracted to that, or a beautiful or a good-looking man on the woman's part, that in and of itself is not sin. That's just the normal being attracted. I've heard some say the second look is sin. Well, that's not necessarily true either, but it, you get the point. It, it, it's when you take it to the next level. You then or imagine that person unclothed, or you imagine you, you know, in bed with them or something. Obviously, that's what Jesus spoke of when he said, if you lust after a person you're not married to, you're wanting them in a way that's not. So lust is desiring something that God doesn't want you to have. It's a strong desire for something that God doesn't want you to have. And so that's why I think it's so important, and we'll get into this more in the weeks ahead on the SSA issue, same-sex attraction, is that many people feel condemned just because they have same-sex attraction. And they want to say, well, I was born that way. And I said, well, no, not really, because no more than a heterosexual that's attracted to somebody other than his spouse, he could say, I was born an adulterer. No, you're not. We're born into sin. And sin manifests in many different ways. Sin will cause us to want things we don't that God doesn't want us to have. That's called resisting temptation. And so it's been very liberating for many people who have same-sex attractions to realize that that's no more of a, a that the, the temptation is not a sin. It's if you act on it, then it becomes a sin. Or if you take it to the next level in your mind. Does that help? There you go. So if you didn't have that attraction, you would have never married Patty. That's good. So realize that the attraction is good. It's created by God. Now, I do believe with SSA issues, there's some underlying issues that can be a part of the equation. But the book, um, Holy Sexuality, is an amazing book on this. And it's written by a strong evangelical believer who has struggled all his life, or most of his life, with same-sex attraction. But he chooses not to act on it. He chooses not to give in to it. And it's, it's really an amazing book, and it's endorsed by some of the top scholars that are around today. One more, and I said that a minute ago, but this is the last one. The worship team, you can come on out. <laughs> Should I get married before having any intimacy like kissing? All right, so here's the deal. Great question. <laughs> wow, he comes out and says, good luck. <laughs> this is my worship pastor. So I'm going to let Jonathan answer that. I mean, he just wrote a book on marriage, right? This is the expert. We can both chime in if you want. He's like, yeah. So uh, it, it, ask it again. Should I 
I've, well, I lost it. Uh, should I marry somebody that I haven't kissed? No, basically. no, no. Uh, should I avoid all intimacy like kissing before I get married? I'm proud to say that my oldest daughter, her first kiss was at the altar. Um, I heard this definition once. The old question, how far is too far? If you incite the passions in another beyond that which can be righteously satisfied, you have sinned. So for some, kissing, especially if it's passionate kissing, leads to, you know, it, it incites the passions where then you want to go. And that, why do they say, you know, the old, sorry, but first base, second base, third base, home run? You know, because first base then makes you want to go second base, makes you want to go third base and home run. And, and so that, I think, is, is a, biblical, a biblically sound answer. Don't, don't incite the passions in the other beyond that which can be righteously satisfied. And so for every couple, they have to decide what is the boundary. A couple I married in Wisconsin, they're now on staff with Crew. You know, they got to the point where they said, we, we, can't, we have to go to the library for our date because we know we weren't doing anything inappropriate there. And so they just set those boundaries. They had the, 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 the boundaries established so that they didn't violate them. The Bible says in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Make no provision. And Ephesians 5 says, let there not even be a hint of immorality among you. So better to be overly cautious. The illustration I've given before about the guy who was hiring a driver. And he interviewed these guys. How fast can you get me to that place along I-1 in California, whatever it's called. And there's all these cliffs on the other side. And the one guy said, I can, I can get you to within six inches of the edge and, and still make it there. And the other guy, I can get you to within four inches of the edge. And, get, and the other guy goes, I'm going to stay as far away from the edge as possible, sir. And he goes, you're hired. And sometimes we want to see how close to the edge we can get instead of how far from the edge can I stay away so that I maintain a clear conscience we're going to talk next week about the benefits of holiness so let's pray there may be some of you here today that you need to be saved you need to receive Christ and you can do that right now you're saying Lord Jesus come into my life I've not been living for you and I've been going on my own and I want to surrender afresh. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I put my trust in you to forgive me, reconcile me. All of us need to surrender our sexuality afresh to God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 12 says, Give your bodies a living sacrifice. Would you pray that now? Just, Lord, I surrender my sexuality to you. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Some of you need to make sure you've confessed your sin and broken any soul ties. Our email that will go out this week, I'm going to include the prayer out of Neil Anderson's Steps to Freedom on breaking soul ties. But it's basically just saying, God, 
I confess that I have sinned against you in my relationship with, name the person, when we, name the sin, and I command any demons that I gave ground to to be gone in Jesus' name. You need to break those soul ties. You need to renounce the evil one. I'm telling you, I've seen hundreds of people do this and get set free. Name the sin, name the person, and then in the name of Jesus, I command any evil spirits that I gave ground to through that sin to be gone. And then you say, God, heal my damaged heart. Restore my soul. And he can do it. Some of you need to make some decisions today to go the next step in terms of counseling or getting surgical prayer. My email is on those sermon notes for the very reason that I want to help you in any way I can, sending you to the right resources. Oh, Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word that comes to set us free. God, we thank you and praise you that there is nothing that you're not able to forgive and heal and restore when we yield to you. Thank you that when we conceal our sin, we will not prosper. But when we confess and forsake it, we find mercy. God, let your mercy flow. Let your power flow every person listening in Jesus name amen let's stand together like our prayer team to be available the altar's open if you want to just come and pray here get prayer from somebody on the prayer team you respond as the Lord leads you